So imagine it's just you and me, and we're sitting down at a coffee shop, and I ask you, what would it look like in your life for you to have a windfall of divine favor? What would it, what would it mean? Where does your mind go? For some of you, you'd say, oh, I'd get a promotion. I'd get, uh, you know, I'd, I'd get that deal close. Maybe for some of you, it would just be a lot of money. Maybe it's a relationship that would be healed that's gone south of brokenness in your family. That would be divine favor if I could, if, the, if that could just be healed. Or maybe there's a physical healing that you would need. Maybe you've got a vacation planned and it just would be to have a great time with your family or some kind of fame or some, you know, what would it look like? Jesus speaks to a large group of people <clears throat> on a mountainside and he announces, and it is like a sonic boom that goes through the crowd. He says, this is what it looks like. You want to know what it is to have divine favor in your life, to live a blessed life for real happiness? He kind of announces it. And it is shocking. And so I'm going to read it to you, but I've edited it just a little bit so that when you read it, it kind of hits with the impact. What's your response to this kind of a sonic boom? One day... As he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up to the mountainside. He sat down and he began to teach them. God blesses divine favor, divine delight. You are fortunate when you are poor for those who mourn. God blesses those who are humble for they will inherit the earth. For those who are hunger and thirst for justice, who are merciful, whose hearts are pure, who work for peace, God blesses those who are persecuted. Yeah, see, no, no, you're just playing. Because I think that for most of you, you'd go, yeah, that's, that's right. I'm just one persecution short of divine favor. You know, I, a windfall of blessing, I would say, would come my way if I was just really, really sad. Do you know, what I need is I need some people stepping on me and stepping over me. That's what I need. Humility, just, you know, go ahead, take your place. That's, that's what it takes. This is so upside down that it's hard to imagine exactly what it's like. I mean, how does it feel? Jesus is saying something that's so counterintuitive. Years ago, I read a book titled The Right Stuff. And the book is about test pilots that were trying to break the sound barrier. And it was hard, and actually lots of people believed it wasn't possible because as a plane approached 735 miles an hour, literally they began to shake and break apart. Some of them literally broke apart and crashed, so they weren't sure it, they weren't, if it was even possible. And one test pilot, then in kind of a dramatic moment in the book, talks about how, you know, he's come to the sound barrier and the plane's shaking and rattling and, you know, it's like, is it going to explode? And the controls didn't work the way that they were supposed to work. You know, you push down, plane goes down, pull up, plane goes up, but they seem to work backwards. And so in this dramatic moment and moment of incredible courage, the pilot does what is counterintuitive. And so as he's trying to break the sound barrier, he does the opposite thing and the plane shoots up and it goes it breaks through the sound barrier and he goes faster than any human had ever gone before. And there's this sonic boom. Now, I don't even know if that's true, but it makes a great story <laughs> in the deal. But here's what it is, is that 
This is a graphic illustration of what Jesus is saying. He's saying the controls of your life. You know, you have a certain way of making things work and you think, you know, to have a blessed life, to find happiness, to work. The world says certain things, but it's going to be counterintuitive and it's not the way you think and you're going to have to trust me. And Jesus is saying, but I want to take you someplace that you have never been before. And if you're willing to trust me and do what seems counterintuitive or inside out or backwards, there is this sonic boom that's going to happen in your life. And it is divine blessing. There's a windfall of divine delight that is going to explode in your life. You are going to be blessed, but it's backwards. And it's hard to prove because there's no doubt about it. I mean, if you want to be a cynic, you can look at it and say, you know, everyone who mourns is not comforted. And everyone who is humble, you know, sometimes they get stepped on. And there are people who long for justice and go to their graves longing for justice and never see it happen. But Jesus says, follow me. And I am doing a new thing, a wonderful thing for those who believe in me. And the controls in your life, while it might feel like they work backwards, this is actually the right side up. And it is totally different and counterintuitive. Now, today, if you're here and, and you're not a Jesus follower and you're just trying to figure it out, this is a great day for you to be here. Because while it will be challenging and it might be different than what you're normally used to hearing, I think that you're going to resonate with what Jesus says. And I think there's a part of you that already knows that what the world says doesn't work the way the world says. And there's got to be some disillusionment in that. And I think that you're going to find a powerful reason why you would want to follow Jesus because of what he says here. And for those of you that are followers of Jesus, these words are incredibly challenging because what Jesus is saying in the moments of life where you feel like you're breaking apart and you're not really sure what to do, He's saying, I want you to do something that is counterintuitive. And it isn't the way the world works. But if you do, there is this sonic boom that will happen in your life. This is the way to experience this powerful divine favor, a blessed life, what I really want for you. So look at what Jesus says in this passage, blessed. And the word blessed means, you know, happy, or it is this sense of divine delight. God's favor. Blessed are the humble. Humble is translated meek sometimes or gentle or kind. So blessed are the humble for they will inherit the earth. You go, really? Who is it that inherits the earth or gets everything valuable in life? Who really gets everything in life? Who wins the deal? Who gets the promotion? Who gets the job? Who gets the influence? Who gets the recognition and the awards? The humble? The gentle? The kind, sweet, sensitive people that go, oh no, you go first. Or is it the people who are demanding and manipulating, people who elbow their way to the front, the me first people, the people who take 15 items through the 10 item line in the grocery store? <clears throat> who really, who really does it? And so Jesus is saying, no, it's the humble and it's, you know, this upside down. Humble, the meek, the kind, the gentle. Now, being humble does not mean that you are timid and shy. It does not mean that you are quiet. It doesn't mean that you're wimpy or weak. And it is not a personality style. Here is what Jesus meant. This is what the word means. It is strength under control. It is harnessed power. 
Things that are not humble. Earthquakes. <laughs> wildfires. Lightning. A, you know, nuclear explosion. Power out of control. Things that are humble. Electricity in your house. An oven. The microwave that you use. Your car, unless the teenager's driving it. <laughs> but your car, these are things that are humble. They are powerful, out of control. So, I mean, do you understand? So let me ask you, can a person without strength be humble? No, because it is harnessed strength. And the truth is, every person has strength. And so a great way of thinking of humility is a person who is not pretending to be more than they are, and it is not a person who pretends to be less than they are. It is a person who courageously embraces all that they are, but they harness their strength. They just don't let it explode all over people. So a humble person is an encourager, is an affirmer. It's someone who's willing to share credit. A humble person stays connected, even in conflict. It takes a humble person to forgive. Only a humble person can Forgive. Only a humble person can. Forgive. Right. People who can't forgive aren't. Just checking to make sure you got that. Uh, humble person harnesses their emotion. They can, they can harness that strength. They listen. They put others first. A proud person or a person who's not humble is self-focused. They're selfish. They're demanding. They want credit. They're self-promoting. Uh, they refuse to forgive. They refuse to forgive and they put themselves first. So Jesus is saying there's a windfall of delight. There is divine blessing. You can find true happiness if you put others first because then you will inherit the earth. All right, remember that was just inherit, just looking for that, it's pretty simple. What's the right answer? Inherit the earth. All right, let's try it again. Big moment for you here. Get your on, all right. Jesus says there's a windfall of delight. You're going to find a life of meaning. You're going to find true happiness when you put others first. And the result is you're going to? You're going to get everything important in life. You're going to get everything that you truly want in life in this new way. Now said another way would be this way. How unhappy are the arrogant and the boastful? Because they're going to have few friends. How sad are the ones who step on and step over people because no one will ever trust them. Headed for failure are those who don't listen, who are know-it-alls because people just get tired of them. Doomed are those who refuse to manage their emotions, who just explode with anger or competitiveness or jealousy because people just run from them. Hell-bent are the impatient and the ruthless, the me-first people because they ruin their life. Damned are the unforgiving who put themselves first because they don't understand their own need for God's forgiveness. That's what Jesus is saying. And do you know what's amazing about this? Research backs up what Jesus says. Stanford did this giant research project. So they took a whole bunch of smart people and they spent a lot of money and took a lot of time and they did a research on happiness Okay, this is so good. And they came up with something that they called the happiness paradox. And here's what it is. You love this one, smart people, because they say really smart stuff. So here's what it is. Here's their conclusion. You'll never be happy if your goal in life is to be happy. 
That is the happiness paradox, all right? And the reason is, is because the pursuit of happiness is in itself a selfish pursuit. And so people who pursue happiness ultimately are unhappy and miserable. So if your goal in life is to be happy, you will be unhappy and miserable. There's the happiness paradox. But what they discovered as they studied is this. If you pursue meaning in life, you get both meaning and happiness. So then they had to determine how do you find meaning in life? Now you're going to love this. This is so good. Get ready. This is the best. You're ready? Okay. Here it goes. Here it goes. So you're right. So how do you discover meaning in life? By putting others first. By being humble, gentle, and kind. Isn't that amazing? They found it right there. Here's their axiom. Your life works best when you're not the center of it. Mm. See, there you go. Glad you came to church. And this is a theme through the whole Bible. Okay, because God says when he blesses someone, he chooses Abraham and he says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. But when God blesses you, he gives you his divine favor. What's the purpose of God's blessing in your life? To bless others. We are blessed to be a blessing. So he says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you so that you can bless the whole world. All right. So look at what he says in this. This is so great. He goes, you've got a windfall of, ble- windfall of blessing, divine favor. You're going to experience happiness when you put others first. And as a result, you will inherit the whole earth. All right. That's right. Can you not track this? It's not a One more time, your answer, inherit the whole earth. A windfall of blessing, divine favor, true happiness is coming your way when you put others first, because then you will. You will get everything in life that you really want. So what I want to do with our time remaining is to inspire you to live this way this week. And, you know, in the day-to-day stuff, but really in the crucial moments when things in your life start to rattle and break apart and you're afraid that everything's going to blow apart and you're not sure and you want to grab the controls and do what you always do, which is to power up and to amp up and to think you're the solution. And what Jesus says in that moment, you can experience true happiness, divine favor, if you will put others first, if you will be kind and gentle. And so I want to challenge you in the most challenging, difficult dangerous moments to put Jesus to the test because he says I'm doing something new in your life and you're going to go further and faster than you've ever gone before so three things we're going to look at first I'm going to show you how your life is transformed by gentleness humility secondly why you would want to be humble and gentle and third what does it look like first why or how your life is transformed by gentleness, kindness, and humility. The greatest shock in the Bible, anybody were to read the Bible, and it's absolutely unique to the Bible and to Christianity, this, is, this surprise is not found anywhere else. The singular greatest surprise in the Bible is that God is humble and gentle and kind. It is so shocking, you can't even believe 
it. And Jesus wanted to capture it, and so he told the story. And it is why it is the most famous story of Jesus, because it is so shocking that God is gentle, kind, and humble. He tells a story about a man who has two sons. The youngest son can't wait for his dad to die. He literally looks at his dad and says, you're not dying fast enough. Just give me my inheritance. And the father does, gives him the inheritance, and he goes out and he blows it as fast as he can. He destroys his own life and he destroys every person's life who touches him over a period of time. And after the end of the time, he finds himself in the worst possible situation. He is broken and destitute. And Jesus says, finally, he came to a census and he realized that the servants in his father's house are better off than he is. He knows he has forfeited any right that he has to be a son, to be in a position of honor. But he said, if I could just be a servant in my father's house. So he decides to return to the father's house. And Jesus said, while the son was a long way off, which is amazing because the father was anxiously looking and waiting. He sees his son. He says the father humbles himself. Imagine, and he runs to the son. And the son, before he can even give a speech about how he's, you know, this son is broken and alienated and lost and alone. The father throws his arms around the son, restores him, makes him a son again, brings him into the family and loves him. And we are, and he throws a party for the son. And we are staggered by it because Jesus says, that's who your heavenly father is. The most repeated phrase, the sentence in the Bible that describes God is a statement God makes about himself. Look at it in Exodus 34. The Lord passed in front of Moses crying out, Yahweh, or I am the Lord, the Lord, the God. Here's who he describes himself. Of compassion and mercy, I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I am the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and I am filled with God, with just love and grace. And it absolutely shocks us. And every person here who is a Jesus follower is for one reason, because you came to, you couldn't believe it. You couldn't believe it. But you were just amazed that you had a heavenly father. And when you turned to him, and you deserve punishment. And you deserve, I mean, you know it. We all blew it. And yet he threw his arms around you and you got love and grace and compassion and kindness. And it staggered you because it transforms a life. And it still does. One of the ministries that we support here in Orange County is a group home for kids, foster kids, who, uh, who get... I mean, they get tossed out of their foster homes. These are the kids that are most damaged because their parents were drug addicts or they were left and they, they act out. They have just so much severe pain in their life. And it's a group home. Much, it's the closest thing to an orphanage that America's got going. And, and this guy runs this group home in Orange County for these kids that are so incredibly damaged. And they come into this situation and, you know, they... They, they do just what you'd expect. They come in and they act out, they break things and they run away. And, you know, they know what's going to happen, you know, because if you run away, you're going to lose, you're going to lose privileges, you're going to get punished. That's just what they expect. And so they run away from this house and the cops ultimately, police have to find them, the police find them and they bring them back. And this guy who runs it finds out, you know, when the police find them and they bring them back, doesn't matter if it's two in the morning or three in the morning. He gets everybody up in the house. They all wait at the door. He gets out the ice cream and they throw a party. And 
I've seen it. It's just emotional because they throw a party for this kid, a guy or a girl, comes in and it's just overwhelming. And then they just affirm him and tell him how much they love him and just, and just, just overwhelm them with kindness and grace. The kids eventually go to the guy and go, you're crazy, why do you do this? And you know what he does? He tells them the story of the prodigal son and of a loving heavenly father. And oftentimes it transforms the lives of these kids who are so broken because that's what kindness, gentleness, and humility does. It transformed your life and it will transform the lives of the people that you come in contact with. And the second thing is, it disarms you. I mean, God's kindness disarms us. Look at what it says in Romans 2. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does it mean nothing to you? Can't you see that it is kindness that intended to turn you from your sin? You know, we don't come to sin because we're, I mean, come to God because we're so afraid and we're frightened. We come because we're just drawn by his kindness. I mean, we're amazed that God did not stay distant, but he came to this earth and he came as a baby, so not threatening. He came and he was just like us so that we can be confident that he understands us. And then Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and you carry heavy burdens, because I'm humble and gentle of heart and you'll find rest to your souls. And when we first hear that, I think most of us all respond the same way. We go, come on, we're big boys and girls. We understand we've done things that are wrong. You know what? There's judgment. There's punishment. There's, you know, there's going to be privileges that are going to be taken from us. There's things that have to be paid. It can't be that easy. You can't just come to Jesus and just say, gee, you know, and throw yourself at him and you're going to get compassion and love. It just can't be. So we stay there and we go, okay, I'll try to be better. And we make promises and we try to do it ourselves. And it ricochets on us because the harder we try and more self-denial we live with, we just seem to propel ourselves to be worse until finally we are absolutely broken and we can't do anything. And the reason we come to Jesus is because we've got nowhere else to go. And we come to Jesus and what happens? We are disarmed because there isn't a lecture. There isn't punishment and privileges are not taken away but we find compassion and gentleness and humility and love and he forgives and we find rest to our soul because gentleness just disarms us. Haven't you ever been disarmed by gentleness? I was one time years ago, I have four sons and when they were younger, you know, we got to help them with homework, such a delight. And so, So I was helping him. One of my sons, who was painfully shy, and he was small, he had to give, you know, a speech in a class. One of the first times he'd had to stand up in a class and talk. And he was so terrified just by the idea of having to stand up in front of the class. And so I said, I'll help you with it. And so, you know, I started to talk to him. And so he's, he's amped. And so he's amped. He's, you know, kind of just, you know, verbally shoving at you. And I go, well, hey, what did you try? That's a dumb idea. Okay. When, how about you? Well, you could try, you know, so I'm trying all these different ideas. And his amperage is just going up. And he's, you know, just, be, you know, spitting fire at me all the time, which gets, you know, pretty hard when a miniature person's, you know, and you're just like, 
And finally, in the heat of the moment, I'm trying to be calm, but I mean, they can get you, can't they? And so I'm talking to them. And, and so at the thing, and then here's that. The, I mean, it's really getting up there. And finally, it just goes. And I go, we'll try this. He goes, that's a dumb idea. You don't know anything. You don't know anything about giving a speech. And then he walks out, and I am just like hot, you know, like, do you not know what I do for a living here? It's like, you know. And so I walk out to the kitchen, and I'm like, you know, I'm radioactive. You know, I'm like a gunslinger. I walk in, and I'm going, bring it, Lori. Just say something. I'm ready to have at it. You know, that kid. And so I'm standing there just like this, and I say something about the homework. And Lori turns, and she goes, you know, Ken, just the other day, the son, the boys were talking about what a good dad you are. <laughs> they talked about how much they love you and you create so much fun for them and you're a great dad. And I know, you know, the homework things, you don't need to help them if you don't want to, but they just love you so much. And I'm standing there going. <laughs> because kindness and gentleness, it just disarms you just disarms you, changes everything. And the third is that God empowers us with gentleness, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit. Is this what you produce in your life? Okay, I'll read it again. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit. Is this what you produce in your life? No, 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 the answer is no, okay. Is this what you produce in your life? Who produces this in your life? Let's try it again. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit. It's important. This is what the Holy Spirit is producing in your life. Why this is important? Because we all say, I want to join God in what he's doing. Because I bet if I join God in what he's doing, I mean, that's going to be fun. It's like, you know, you know, it's, you know, it'll really happen if I join God. This is what God's doing in your life. He is producing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. These are the things. This is who you are. So why would you want to be humble, gentle, and kind? Because this is who God is making you to be. So look at what it says in Colossians 3.12. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, clothe yourself with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Do you know what makes you you know, why do you, you dress, you choose the clothes that you like because they're really comfortable and you feel like they make you look good. Do you know what really makes you look good? You know when you are dressed in gentleness, kindness, and humility? They look green on you. That's your style. You know what is not your style? Arrogance, impatience, haughtiness, me first. Not your style. Doesn't look good on you. In fact, you look ugly. And so Jesus is saying, do this. And ultimately, we change the world. You change the world through humility, gentleness, and kindness. Is that shocking? Because really, if people go, you want to change the world, power up, be all who you are, go to a seminar, control the world, dominate. <laughs> Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth later in the same message. You are the light of the world. Let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. You know, really, the way you change the world is you show up with gentleness, kindness, humility. It'll change the world. And you know what I love? Research backs it up. I read the greatest research study, and it says this. Here's what's amazing. Your emotions spread like the flu. 
So if you had the flu, you get around, you give people that you're around the flu. The same thing is true with your emotions. Whatever emotions you have, you end up infecting people with your emotions. They did a study. They took 700,000 Facebook users, put them in two groups of people. Group A, they showed them more good news than bad in a positive way. And the people were measurably more positive and happy. And here's was the surprise. And the people in their life that they lived with, their family, were measurably more happy and positive. In group B, they showed more negative news presented in a negative way. Those people were measurably more negative and the people in their family that they live close to were also more negative and sad. So when you communicate in a negative or sarcastic way with personal attack, distrust and anger, people catch those emotions and they go out their day with it. But if you communicate with humility, kindness, and gentleness, people catch that. Now here was just a side thing in the study that was amazing. When you communicate with gentleness, kindness, uh, humility, it actually makes people drive better. Is that amazing? And people are safer because when you're kind, you just are kind and gentle in your family. They get in cars and then they're like, hey, go ahead. You go first. No problem. They go, the world's safer <laughs> just when you do this. So what are people, what are people catching from you? <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> moment of quietness. Heavy. Oh. So what are they catching from you? What are they really catching for you, from you? We are in an election cycle. You can have any opinion you want. Jesus would say, but when you express that opinion, do it with humility, gentleness, and kindness, and you'll change the world. You'll make it safer and better. But when we express those opinions and we are harsh, critical, negative, and attacking, we make the world, the streets literally are not as safe. You change the world. Is that amazing? We connect with others. We communicate compassion. We show wisdom. We rebuild. Look at what it says. This isn't isolated. It's all through scripture. Uh, in Titus, look at the way we connect with people. You must not slander anyone, avoid quarreling. Instead, you should be gentle and show true humility to everyone. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel. He must be kind, patient. Perhaps God will change people's hearts. If someone asks you about your hope, you know, somebody wants to understand who Jesus is, you should always be ready to explain it, but do this in a gentle and respectful way. We communicate compassion. Be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for others' faults. You demonstrate wisdom. You demonstrate wisdom. You are wise as opposed to a fool. If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it. Do good works with humility. You restore and rebuild people. If any believers overcome with sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help the person back. You bring heaven to earth. Wisdom from above is first pure, peace-loving. It's gentle at all times, willing to yield to others. So what does it look like? What does it really look like in life? I'm going to give you four examples real quick. This is what it looks like in life. Moses uh, is the first example. And look at what it says about Moses, which is a crack up because who wrote the book of Numbers? 
Moses did. So look at what, the, what Moses wrote about Moses. Now Moses was very humble, more humble than any other person. Okay, and at first it's kind of like, whoa, but you know what, there's a genius to this because what is humility? Harnessed strength. And do you know what Moses is saying about him? He goes, you know what? I'm a person who learned to harness strength because if you read about Moses in his early life, he had incredible power and it was not harnessed. He was bright and powerful at a position of power and he was arrogant and he was hurtful to people and he stepped over people and stepped on people. He was anything but humble and he knew it. But over his life and the course of his life, he saw God change him and he began to harness his strength, trust God. In fact, in Numbers 12, it tells this story where Moses says, you know, God taught me humility. It was a deal in my life. I was a humble man. Here's the story. Moses leads God's people out of the slavery of Egypt, takes them through the Red Sea, over into the wilderness. God gives them at Mount Sinai how to have a loving relationship with God. Through this whole journey, it is nothing but pain and sadness and difficulty because the people of God are always strafing against Moses. They're always criticizing him. But he has three people who really stand with him. His brother Aaron, who's head of the priests, his older sister Miriam, who is the head of the prophets. And they form, you know, they're the kind of his cabinet and the key counselors to him that he really relies on. But the people of God are always turning on Moses and complaining and criticizing him. Moses' first wife was Zipporah, and she died in Egypt, where they were slaves in Egypt. Uh, and uh, then when they came out of, the, out of being slaves of Egypt, remember, everyone who put blood on the door, the death angel passed over because they trusted in God. And there were people from all different ethnic groups, all different racial groups that came out that were slaves in Egypt or other people that were in Egypt. It was like this world-class city. And so Moses married another woman, uh, and this woman was from Ethiopia. She was African. She was black. And during one of these critical moments, Miriam and Aaron turned on Moses and began to criticize him because they were jealous because God spoke to them, spoke to Moses. But what it says in the Bible is that Aaron and Miriam attacked Moses because of the woman that he married that was from Ethiopia. They were prejudiced. They didn't like her race. And they thought they were better than she was, and they didn't like that Moses chose her. And you can imagine that would have been a very painful moment for Moses because he's being criticized. But they didn't just do it subtly. They did it in front of all the people. They were racist in front of everyone. And Moses was incredible because Moses did not power up, which is what is his normal style, didn't use his position and just shout him down, didn't cause, call God's judgment down on him. In fact, he just responded and said, I'm going to trust God. Obviously, it hurt him. I'm sure he said, Miriam, this really hurts. I'm sad you can't love my wife. But he didn't respond evil for evil. He just responded with humility. He did not power up. He didn't power up against her. And God saw it. And so God stepped in and he called a little meeting between Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. And God showed up. He literally came in a pillar of cloud. And he said to Aaron and Miriam, what is it that is, why are you complaining that I speak to Moses face to face? It's my choice. It's not yours. You don't get to decide who I speak to. And Miriam, 
just start, you want to know what God thinks of racism? He says, Miriam, you think that white is better than black? Great, I'll make you all white. You have leprosy. And she immediately has leprosy, which turns your skin white. Do you know what Moses did? He prayed for his sister for the next seven days straight until God healed her and she was healed. That's why Moses says, I understand what it means to be humble. I know what it means to trust God and say, God, I'm not gonna power up. I'm not gonna blast on people. I'm not gonna go power to power. I'm just gonna trust you with the results. That's what humility looks like. Second example is John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the dominant teacher in Jesus's day. Everybody was following him. He had huge crowds. But then as Jesus came on the scene, the crowd started following Jesus instead of John the Baptist. And do you know what John, Jesus said about John the Baptist? Look at this. I tell you the truth. None is greater than John the Baptist. That's pretty good. Want to know what greatness looks like? Just look at him. This is why, this is what John said. Speaking of Jesus, he must become greater and greater. I must become less and less. Definition of humility. Willing to put somebody else first. And it's hard, isn't it? I mean, it, it looks easy, but it's hard. I was studying it this week, which is just a crack up. And I, there was something that happened. And you know what? I, I noticed it and I thought, you know what? I did that and I don't think I'm getting credit for that. Now, I get a lot of credit for a lot of things. I get credit for things that I didn't do. And, you know, people give me credit for it. But it was, and it was a small thing. And in that moment, you know, I, I just want, I'm thinking, wait, you know. Now, in a very humble way, <laughs> I say, you know, hey, just to point out. But it, what a joke. And you know what? It didn't give me what I want. It didn't do it. And here I'm going, and what it, you know how you inherit the earth? You know how you get what you really want? You know what you get, how you get what is most valuable? By putting others first, sharing credit, not going, wait, 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 hey, 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 a little this direction. <laughs> then John, the apostle John, do you know, James and John, they were brothers together. Do you know what they were called in their early 20s? Sons of thunder, okay? So here's John early on. James and John saw this. They saw a, a town that didn't respond to Jesus the way they thought they should. So here's the, you know, this is stained glass guy said, Lord, should we call down fire to burn them up? Ah! See, there is strength out of control. And Jesus confronts John and goes, slow down. And then about 60 years later, he got it. Listen to what John writes. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. See, love, gentleness, humility. But you know, ultimately the greatest expression of humility is Jesus because Jesus, you know, who has ultimate power, he created the universe, he created everything, he was able to calm the storms. He was God, but he didn't stay distant from us. He came to this earth. He restrained his power. He took on humanity. I mean, he became human. And even more than that, then he went to the cross. And then look at what it says about him. Christ suffered for you. He is your example. He never sinned. And then speaking about the cross, he did not retaliate when he was insulted, power harnessed, nor threatened revenge when he suffered. You'll get yours, didn't power up. He left his case in the hands of God. That is humility and gentleness, who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for, his, for what is right. And Jesus died on the cross and he was humble and gentle and what did he get for it? 
He got everything he ever wanted. He got to pay your debt for your sin, to extend forgiveness to you so that he could see you run into the arms of your heavenly father and love you. He inherited the whole earth because he was gentle and humble. So don't be selfish, be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourself. Don't look out for your own interests, that's natural. But he says, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. He gave up. He didn't hold on to his privileges and then it goes on. You know, when you understand what God has done for you, in critical moments, you can start to live this counterintuitive way and say, God, I'm gonna trust you and I'll be humble and gentle. So we take a moment and just close your eyes for a second. And this is what I'd love for you to do is that, would you go? You, I mean, Jesus says to you, come to me. Come to me, all of you that are weary, that are burdened. And I know when you start to come to Jesus, if you're like me, you think, but you know what? I haven't been who I'm supposed to be and I've done wrong and it can't, you know, I need to make some promises and it can't just be that simple where I just step into his presence. I mean, you know, there's, you know, there's some penalties to be play, paid. But Jesus says, you just come to me. You come to me. And when you come to me, you will find that I am gentle and humble and you will find rest for your soul. He always treats us with humility, gentleness, and kindness. And as you now embrace that he is gentle with you, can you believe and say, even in your heart, God, this week, I want to trust you. And when my life starts to break apart and in those high-intensity moments, I'm going to do what's counterintuitive. And I'm going to be gentle and kind and believe in that way. I'll inherit the earth. Oh, Father, thank you for how much you love us, how you model for us something that seems so counterintuitive. And at the same time, you bless us. You are worthy of every song. You are worthy of all our praise. God, you alone are worthy of everything. And we want to praise you now. So would you hear our praise? Let's stand together and worship our Savior.
have any needs for prayer, there's a team of people that meet over at these lights. They'd love to pray with you, over you. If you need to be prayed for for healing outside these doors to the right, there are elders there. They'd love to pray for your healing. Hold out your hands and receive God's blessing. Father, look at your children. They love you. Would you bless them and keep them? Would you cause your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them? Would you lift up the light of your countenance? Would you turn your attention towards them and bow low and listen? And would you rescue and save? And God, give them your peace. We ask in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go in God's grace. You have a great day.